Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the 435th episode of Travel Witch Radio. I'm your host, Dan Schlossberg, along with my friend and co-host, Mary Ellen Nugent Lee. And this is the 10th season of Travel Witch Radio, the show that lets you enjoy the pleasures of travel from the comfort of your armchair. Every week at this time, we talk to people representing destinations, hotels, airlines, railroads, car rental companies, and others in the world of travel and hospitality. From authors and bloggers to broadcasters and publicists, if it's got anything to do with travel, it's got everything to do with Travel Itch Radio. And our honored guest tonight is Claire White, Educational Programs Manager at the Mob Museum in Las Vegas. Welcome, Claire, to Travel Itch Radio. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. Mary Ellen, good to be here. Oh, we're excited. Mary Ellen? <laughs> the official name of the Mob Museum is the National Museum of Organized Crime and Law Enforcement. But does it focus primarily on Las Vegas or on crime in general? The Mob Museum is a pretty comprehensive look at organized crime. So we do have a number of exhibits focused on the Las Vegas story because, let's face it, Las Vegas, the mob, there's a lot to say. But Mm -hmm. our museum also features exhibits from across the United States and even a little bit on international organized crime, as well as the law enforcement agents who fought to stop organized crime over the last 150 or so years. Well, everybody knows about the Valentine's Day Massacre of 1929. Is that why the museum picked February 14, 2012 as its opening date? (laughs) Yes. Yes. And, in fact, we are very excited. We are about to celebrate our 10th anniversary. Um, And, you know, some people might think that February 14th, picking it for the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, uh, which took place in Chicago in 1929, uh, might be a little morbid, but it's just right for the Mob Museum. Um, And that is for a number of reasons. First of all, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre is just one of those events that really, really did shape organized crime history as well as law enforcement history. And it happened towards the end of Prohibition, which was the best thing that ever happened to organized crime. Mobsters <laughs> became millionaires during Prohibition. And for us, it's also a really great way to honor one of uh, our premier sets of artifacts, which is the majority of the bricks from the wall against which the massacre occurred. Uh, Seven members of the George Bugs Marin Northside Gang were murdered against this wall, and we are uh, honored to be sort of the final resting place for those bricks. 
Okay, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre took place under the direction of Al Capone in line with his reputation as king of the mobsters. Does the Mob Museum have numerous artifacts and exhibits depicting Capone's career and exploits? So we definitely have some things uh, connected specifically to Capone and his career and exploits. We have a gun that belonged to him uh, that was in his Miami home. Uh, we also have uh, a number of other artifacts related specifically to the St. Valentine's Day Massacre and its investigation. We have crime scene evidence from the massacre crime scene. And we also just have some general sort of slice-of-life prohibition-related artifacts that definitely connect in with the Capone story, um, including a copy of the Time magazine that he was on the cover of. Not a ton of mobsters uh, made it to the cover of Time magazine, but of course Al Capone did. <laughs> what other notorious mobsters are featured in the museum? I know Bugsy Siegel, for example, was instrumental in developing Las Vegas casinos and cultivating its open city reputation. But how about Lucky Luciano, Meyer Lansky, and so many more? So all three of those men, as well as dozens of others, are featured in, in some way or another at the museum. Uh, Bugsy Siegel and Meyer Lansky both. We have some of their personal effects. We have sunglasses that belong to Bugsy Siegel. Um, we have some jewelry and some other personal belongings of Meyer Lansky's. We in fact, just acquired um, some artifacts related to Lucky Luciano that, that we haven't put out on display, so I don't want to give away any spoilers. But we mm. are still actively acquiring uh, some artifacts from, from individuals, from mob, mobsters and, and uh, law enforcement agents as well. And, you know, we really we, – we like to cover all the big, big, well-known mobsters, but we've also got a lot of, of smaller names as well, local Las Vegas names um, that may be familiar to Las Vegans, but not necessarily to everyone else. Uh, Mo Dalitz is one that comes to mind. He uh, opened the Desert Inn in the 1950s. Um, Frank Costello, we've got some stuff related to him, who he's very important not only to the New York story, but also to the Las Vegas story he invested in, in casinos here as well. So really there, are, there is so much more than just Capone and just the big names. We're talking tonight with Claire White of the Mob Museum in Las Vegas. Claire, you mentioned that organized crime really got a jump start from prohibition and that fact's depicted very well by the Mob Museum. Could you tell our listeners more about what happened? Sure. So um, I said it before, I sound like a broken record. Prohibition is the best thing that ever happened to organized crime. <laughs> and the reason I say that is on, you know, in 1920, in January of 1920, when prohibition went into effect, what it outlawed was the manufacture, sale, and transport of alcohol. Now, I don't know about the two of you, but I know for me, I don't personally make, sell, or transport alcohol, but that doesn't necessarily mean I don't occasionally drink it. So for <laughs> most Americans, they're thinking, well, the law doesn't technically apply to drinking. I'm not breaking the law if I'm drinking. I just need to find someone willing to sell it to me. And mobsters were more than willing. We already had organized crime networks in, in most major U.S. cities in 1920, and they 
they pivoted immediately to bootlegging and rum running in order to keep people uh, with as much liquor as they needed. And really, you know, that's the, the reality is, is that by the end of Prohibition, there were double as many speakeasies as there had been legal bars before Prohibition was enacted. <laughs> it was, it was really just a, a an, it was an opportunity for organized crime to flourish, and unfortunately, the federal government was not prepared to uh, to stop them. Mm-hmm. Now, tell tell me, wasn't longtime Las Vegas Mayor Oscar Goldman the visionary responsible for the Mob Museum? So, uh, former Las Vegas Mayor Oscar Goodman was the visionary uh, behind the the idea of the Mob Museum. So, the mm. Mob Museum is located in the original federal courthouse in downtown Las Vegas. And in the early 2000s, the federal government was ready to uh, offload the courthouse as a federal building. By that time, we already had two other federal buildings and courthouses in town and, and you know, oh gosh, countless post offices. So the the federal government gave the city of Las Vegas the opportunity to acquire the building under the stipulation that that some sort of cultural nonprofit uh, be then given the the building for for its use. And Oscar Goodman made a name for himself as an attorney here in Las Vegas, and he uh, represented a number of, uh, you know, I, I don't know if he likes us calling them mobsters per se, but definitely men known for their connection to the mob. Uh, <laughs> he made his, his name that way, and he knew how much, for better or for worse, Organized crime shaped our city of Las Vegas, and, and mobsters really did shape the way our strip looks today. And he said, let's, let's get a mob museum in the old post office in the federal building. That's the, the perfect sort of cultural use. Um, and luckily, that is exactly what happened. And, and it took, you know, nearly a, nearly a decade from, from the first kernel of an idea to us opening in 2012. And, and now, like I said, we're almost about to celebrate our 10th anniversary. But we definitely still look to Oscar Goodman um, as far as not only considering him a founder, but, but also, you know, someone who really still helps us tell that story. He's still very actively involved in our mission and in some of our programming. That's so super. And wasn't your <laughs> building, it dates back to 1933. Wasn't it an old Art Deco building already on the Nat- National Register of Historic Places? So it is on the National Register, yes. Um, it's actually done in the neoclassical style. So oh. it it looks more like a brick version of a, a Greek or a, a Roman building. And in fact, that's one of the reasons it's on the National Register. So most of our downtown um, from that time period, the, the few buildings that do exist, and, you know, Las Vegas uh, doesn't have a ton of historical buildings, but most of the ones from that time period are either in the Art Deco or the Art Nouveau style. And so ours is a little unique in that it it has a bit more of a classical look. Um, I even I, I hesitate to say it looks out of place in Las Vegas, but it's definitely not what you think of when you think of <laughs> Las Vegas. 
The other reason it was on the National Register, though, is um, that on November 15, 1950, our courthouse was the site of one of the U.S. Senate Kefauver Committee hearings. Uh, that was a Senate committee used to investigate the impact of organized crime on interstate commerce, and they traveled around the country. Um, and at the time, the, our building was still Las Vegas's sole federal courthouse, and, and we're very lucky that, that, you know, essentially organized crime history happened right in our building. Wow. Okay, Claire, who funded the museum, and how much did it cost? So the museum is a, is a nonprofit entity. We're a nonprofit organization, and we were initially funded through a variety of sources, um, including federal, state, and local grants. Uh, we've gone through a series of, reno uh, I shouldn't even say a series, we went through one major renovation as well as a number of, of changes uh, over the years. Um, but one thing that I always like to point out is that we are accredited by the American Alliance of Museums. We're one of just six accredited museums in, in Nevada. Um, and as a nonprofit entity, uh, you know, essentially everything that, that we make goes back into the community and goes back into educating um, both our locals and our tourists on organized crime history and the history of Las Vegas. Hmm. Okay, we're talking tonight with Claire White of the Mob Museum in Las Vegas. We mentioned the Valentine's Day Massacre bullet-riddled wall. We'd also like to hear about some of the other artifacts and exhibits visitors can expect to see. Sure. So the wall is definitely one of our premier artifacts. Um, but for me, as a Las Vegan, um, the stuff that I really love is all of our Las Vegas artifacts and memorabilia. And I think even for someone who is a, a first-time visitor to Las Vegas, it's just really fun to see some of that stuff. So, for instance, um, related to the founding of the Flamingo, uh, which Bugsy Siegel opened in 1947, we have um, an early slot machine. We have early signage. We have these ceramic flamingos that were given out as souvenirs for people who attended the uh, VIP opening of the Flamingo. I love that kind of stuff. We also have a number of things related to the Desert Inn and the Thunderbird and the Tropicana. And what I love about those artifacts is it's kind of a perfect balance. Some of those casinos are, are still ones that are on the strip that you can go see, like the Tropicana and the Flamingo. You can still stay there. They've, they've you know, over the years renovated and upgraded, and they're still lovely stays. But then there's also those names that maybe they were imploded 20 years ago. Maybe they've been gone for 40 or 50 years, but we sort of already know those names because of movies like Casino and Bugsy. Um, and I, I just love that it's that nice balance of, of maybe familiar names, but also names that you're like, oh, the Thunderbird, I forgot about that. Or, you know, my dad has <laughs> memories of going there <laughs> that he's told me. Or, you know, I remember when I, you know, my wedding was there. Or, or whatever that whatever your personal connection might be. And what was added when you completed your six million dollar renovation three years ago? So our renovation three years ago was a lot of fun because it added a whole lot of exhibit space and it also added a whole lot of interactivity and sort of hands-on stuff. 
So mm-hmm. when the museum, we're, you know, we are in a lot of ways limited by the size of the original building because it's a historical building. But in, its, in the earliest years, uh, we were not fully utilizing our basement space for exhibits. And we thought, you know, what better way to use a basement than to put a speakeasy? Um, Prohibition is <laughs> Prohibition is such an important part of our story, and it it had it had a decent footprint in our exhibits, but we just knew there was even more to to tell and to show. Um, and on top of that, you know, we wanted to mm, kind of zhuzh it up, make it a big Las Vegas to do. And how do you do that <laughs> other than put in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, now, Claire, does the museum dwell on the history of crime, or is there also a section on organized crime today? So we really aim to tell not only a very balanced story, but also a story that brings us all the way up to the present. Um, mm. Our mission really is to address the impact of organized crime on American society throughout time. Um, and so we have exhibits that uh, that bring us completely up to the present, including a multimedia touchscreen that we update on a semi-regular basis with news stories. So, um, for instance, if, if, a, if a mob boss is killed, like a few years ago when Whitey Bulger uh, was, was murdered in prison, we immediately updated some of our uh, multimedia exhibits to incorporate that story. We try to do that essentially with any big organized crime uh, breaking news that takes place. We even have artifacts that are that are very recent. We have artifacts connected to modern wildlife trafficking um, and counterfeiting, which I think are two things that people don't think of when they think of organized crime. I mean, you just, no one does. You think of labor racketeering and casinos, and, and um, we don't think about the fact that to Today, many organized crime groups are financed by counterfeit goods, by knockoff goods, by um, human trafficking, by wildlife trafficking. And we want to make sure that people really do realize that organized crime may look different today, but it does still exist. Um, And then, again, we really do aim to tell a balanced story. We have exhibits on both the organized crime and the law enforcement perspective. And, Mm. you know, Organized crime history is human history, and it's important that we that we acknowledge that that it is a, a challenge to fight organized crime throughout history, and that law enforcement agents continue to work very actively to try to break up crime syndicates. That's so important. We're talking tonight with Claire White of the Mob Museum in Las Vegas. And Claire, talk about some of those interactive exhibits. How do the firearms training simulator and the crime lab experience work? Yes. So those were two additional things that we added during our renovation um, in 2018, besides our underground. And the firearms training simulator allows you to step into the shoes of a law enforcement agent and go through a series of scenarios that are meant to help you really think about uh, use of force decisions. Um, So you receive um, an airsoft training gun, and we have a staff member 
member, a training officer who walks through the whole uh, experience with you. And then our Crime Lab experience really looks at the real components of forensic science. So there are stations uh, connected to firearms examination and ballistics, uh, fingerprint analysis, DNA, fingerprinting, um, and then death investigation, which is probably my favorite because we have a digital autopsy table, um, which is modeled after the digital autopsy tables used in a lot of medical schools today. And you're able to look at uh, three mob hits and sort of use uh, the lens of a medical examiner to determine who it is on the slab and uh, how how they met their demise. Wow. When I was in the Mob Museum a few weeks ago, Claire, I saw a big Dick Tracy cartoon on the wall. So how does the museum include crime and punishment in pop culture? You know, pop culture for so many people is their first introduction to organized crime and the mob. Um, and you know, what that sometimes means is that that's what creates a lifelong interest in the history, but then it also sometimes can lead to, you know, a little bit of glorifying the mob and some of that. And so we mm. really aim to sort of provide that pop culture, and, and we do, we have exhibits of costumes from Hollywood and television. We currently have a Breaking Bad costume on display, um, as well as a Boardwalk Empire and a Sopranos costume on display. And then also just sort of walk people through what is accurate and maybe what is a little bit glorified trails of the mob. A great example is Bugsy Siegel definitely had a ton to do with the founding of Las Vegas, but the story is a little more nuanced than the Bugsy movie with Warren Beatty um, mm. that so many of us saw back in the 90s. And so, you know, we, we, we want to acknowledge that that might be how people know Bugsy, but we also want to make sure that they come away with a, with a bigger picture of what really happened. Corey, you talked a little while ago about the mission of the museum. Am I right to say that it's to educate the public on the history of organized crime, its impact on society, and the success of law enforcement in stopping it? Yes, wonderfully, wonderfully phrased. Yes, that is exactly correct. We know that organized crime shapes and impacts society, and we know that, that uh, law enforcement at all levels are so integral in in helping to dismantle organized crime, and we want to make sure that people come to the museum um, and learn a little bit about that interplay between the two groups. You're listening to Travel It Radio with Dan Schlossberg and Mary Ellen Nugent-Lee. Listen live on iTunes or blogtalkradio.com or check out Travel It Radio on Facebook. And we're talking tonight with Claire White of the Mob Museum in Las Vegas. Claire, I bet some of your celebrity guests did what I did and visited the underground, that speakeasy in your basement. I loved the 20s atmosphere, from the Dixieland jazz music to that Harold Lloyd comedy showing him climbing the side of a building and getting stuck on the clock. I also spent a lot of time looking at the pictures, decor, and memorabilia that oozes from every nook and cranny. You even have your own distillery and secret password. And I hear the underground stays open till midnight, three hours after the rest of the museum closes. Did I miss anything? <laughs> 
Oh, my gosh. I mean, should we just hire you in our PR department? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you you did a wonderful job of explaining our underground. I think that, um, for me, the thing that, that I would never want, um, I, I wouldn't ever want anyone to miss um, is the fact that we make specialty cocktails um, that are influenced by historical recipes and mm-hmm. even all the way down to our menu is curated. Um, every time our, uh, every time we update our menu seasonally, our bar staff works hard to make sure that they're sort of creating these unique twists on, on traditional cocktails. Um, some of them even come in very fun, very unique sort of um, presentations. I don't like to give too much away, uh, but there's some very prohibition-influenced uh, ways that we uh, present many of our cocktails. And we even write little uh, historical stories for each of the cocktails that we create. Um, so I think for me that's something that, that I'd want to add to your description. Um, and also just that anyone who comes in should definitely try our moonshine. There are very few museums in the country or the world that make their own <laughs> liquor, and we are very lucky to be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, National Public Radio once said missing the Mob Museum would be a crime. I don't think there can be any higher praise. Do you agree? That is so flattering. I mean, of course. It's it's NPR. <laughs> of course we love that. Um, it, it is it is so wonderful um, when we receive praise like that. And I think for us, uh, it's also really important when we receive accolades that we know our guests and our public are voting for. So, for instance, um, USA Today, their Reader's Choice uh, poll, we were voted uh, Best Las Vegas Attraction in 2020, and we've been nominated again in 2021. So those sorts of awards are definitely very special to us as well. And I think the other thing is just recognition within our industry. The fact that we are accredited by the American Alliance of Museums is also something that we're quite proud of. Oh, sure. And and you must be proud of the educational programs that are offered. Can you talk a little bit about those? Sure. They definitely are something that are that I have a soft spot for. And we do offer um we offer programs throughout the day at the museum. Our educators are there on site uh, with object demos and gallery talks and presentations. We also go out into the community. We have in the last, since 2016, um, we have presented school outreach programs to over 20,000 local students here in uh, Clark County and in the county Las Vegas is located in. Uh, We also do adult programming and it is definitely something that we're very, very proud of. And tell us what kind of souvenirs visitors can find in the gift shop. Well, my very favorite souvenir is our moonshine. I have to say, (laughs) I think it's our best souvenir. Um, Around this time, uh, yes, around this time of year, um, especially with with the holidays coming up, um, we always encourage people to, to try out our moonshine gift sets. 
So besides traditional corn whiskey moonshine, we also have two flavor-infused moonshines, our Sin City, which is cinnamon, and Ginger Jake, which is sort of a, a gingery tropical flavor. Um, and, you know, moonshine, I think, gets a bad rep, but we make it in a custom copper still uh, on site with the highest quality standards. And, I, you know, the best way to experience history is really to taste it, um, and that's what you can do with our moonshine. Well, we're running out of time, but could you tell us about the special events on the Mob Museum's calendar? Sure. So I think the easiest thing um, that I can always tell people is to check us out on our website, uh, themobmuseum.org. We have an up-to-date events calendar. Um, some of the stuff that we do have coming up, we have a talk later this month with author Scott Bernstein. We, um, we're talking about, um, we've got a Halloween party coming up at the end of the month. We've just got, we've always got things on our calendar, and I think the best, best way to keep up to date is just to check our website out, themobmuseum.org. Dan? Unfortunately, we're really running out of time, so I just want to thank Claire White, Educational Programs Manager at the Mob Museum in Las Vegas. Thank you, Claire, for being our guest and telling us really great stuff about the Mob Museum in Las Vegas. Thank you. It is my pleasure. It's always great to talk Mob Museum, and I can't wait for some of your listeners to come visit us. <laughs> we will, and all my lead listeners, I was there, so please follow my lead. It was wonderful. And that's it for this edition of Travel Edge Radio. Next week, same time, same station, same writers, same announcers, we will run a rerun of our special program with Flash Phelps from SiriusXM's channel 60s on 6. Don't miss it. It was a wonderful show. We're entering it in an awards competition. Now, this is Dan Schlossberg, along with my beautiful and talented co-host, Mario and Nugent Glee saying thank you for your time this time. Until next time, good night and stay safe. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.